Hello and welcome to morethanjustaclub.com podcast. I'm not Luke Glanville, but I'm actually the producer of the show, Jack. You might remember me from the Dean Ashton appreciation episode we did a couple of weeks back. Luke will be taken over from me shortly, but we had an actual issue with the recording of the show this week. Luke spoke to David Blackmore, founder of the Blowing Bubbles West Ham fanzine. Luke asked David how it all started. Yeah, I used to read the OLAS um, fanzine week in, week out, and I just felt it was it was around kind of 2011 time that I was just reading. I was paying to read a publication where I was reading the same um, opinion being regurgitated on every single page, just worded slightly differently, some better than others. And I just felt that there was perhaps a, a gap in the market for um, a fanzine where more kind of magazine where you've got um, a different article on different pages. You know, with a football club like West Ham, there's always so many different things going on that I just felt there was a need to to have to have that. And it's interesting. I, I didn't actually start the fanzine with an idea of being stood on street corners um, going in competition with Olas or um, certainly not wishing to be cold and wet stood in the street corner trying to, to flog the magazine. It, the The idea initially was it for it to be a, a digital publication. So we came out in August 2012 and the idea was to do a bit of a marketing push. So we gave away a few thousand on that first game and the, the response was so massive that um, we got a whole heap of um, subscribers off the back of that to get a hard copy. And um, whilst I, I continued to try and bang the drum for uh, digital copies, um, the, the the need for it to, to have a print copy as well, which is phenomenal. So that that's really kind of how it started. And the momentum from, from that really built. And year on year, um, I'm just always blown away by the amount of people that have it posted through their door um, every month. I mean, um, we're talking like hundreds of people getting that delivered through their door um, every single month. We've got people in Europe that are getting it. We're getting people in Australia and America. And we just had someone subscribe from South Korea. Um, it's just grown massively beyond any of my expectations. And the first couple of seasons, we used to be um, every home game. But it just got to the stage where you know what it's where, you know what it's like when you're playing on a Saturday at home and then a Tuesday at home. It, it just got to the point where it was too much copy, um, and you know we just missed out on opportunities to to sell additional copies really because people just felt like it was too too many at once. So we, we changed to monthly a few years ago, and um, we we kind of feel like we, we try and sum up the biggest stories from the previous month whilst looking ahead to the month ahead and. And trying to make sure that the content in there is um, it, it's more than just reactive stuff. It's it's stuff that doesn't isn't going to be dated or, or timed. You know, we, we want to make sure that people reading it on the first of April or the twenty first of April are still going to enjoy that experience of, of buying a, a monthly publication. And yeah, when when Olas um, packed up and Gary Fromer just said farewell to Upton Park and farewell to standing outside the bowling. Um, we just saw it as an opportunity to pitch up outside um, the new stadium. And the response on match day sales has, has been phenomenal. You know, there is still a need for people to buy a fanzine. You know, a lot of people say that there's forums that people can vent. But I think when you look at publications like ours, where you've got good quality writers, um, there's enough in there, enough variety in there to keep people interested from the first page to the last. 
you know, I think people have really bought into that and um, it's been so pleasing with the response we have with every single issue. Luke followed us up by asking how difficult it is to keep the monthly fanzine relevant with such big gaps between releases. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge we have, um, keeping it relevant. You know, very often we sit down and it almost feels like we have to, to rub a magic crystal ball and try and work out what's going to still be relevant um, come, you know, the end of the month. And that, that is our biggest hurdle. I think there are lots of issues um, that are happening on and off the pitch that you can discuss at all times. Like, you know, the, the accounts have been and gone. Um, people know, um, you know, roughly what the headline figures are, but do we know the full picture? And um, I think with a printed publication, you're, you're far more likely to um, flick through, read through the accounts on that than perhaps you might be on a digital platform where you have to scroll down the page. I think that's what something that a fanzine can offer. You know, we have our big interview every month and more often than not, um, you know, we focus it on perhaps that, that player's time at West Ham and we try and compare it up to, you know, we try and keep things as updated as possible when it comes to those big interviews, but equally we try and do it in such a way that it's enjoyable and entertaining. I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're all about. We're up for entertaining fans and informing fans. And actually, for a lot of you know new fans that are coming, especially this new stadium, you know, twenty thousand extra people going to every single home game. Um, lots of new younger fans coming in. Then they, they may not have heard of Phil Parks before. They may not have heard of George Paris or uh, Trevor Brookin even. You know, so to be able to have interviews with these players or or have features on on them looking back, actually. You're, you're educating fans as well, which I think is very important. You can't always assume that people know the ins and outs of your football club like you do. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming with Luke Glanville. Yeah, yeah, that I, I can only imagine that is a challenge, but that is something when you talk to ex-players and things that you can compare because the club has changed so much. And, and like you say, someone someone coming into being interested in West Ham now, they, they may not know about that. But anyway, we, we talked about um, things being relevant and something that has kind of been relevant throughout the month is, is the scenes off the pitch first. Firstly, uh, at the Burnley game, uh, just what did you you make of those on the personal level? Well, it was incredible, wasn't it? You know, I felt that that we were really behind the players right up until that first goal hit the back of the net. You know, and what a great finish it was! I, I don't think that Burnley deserved to go in the lead. You know, I, I thought it was quite a, a balanced game, um, but it was so interesting how quickly the atmosphere went from being quite supportive of the players to toxic so quickly and you just got their feeling from the players and the pitch that they just didn't know how to handle it they just couldn't they just they just froze in my opinion um and from them to go on and, and get the other two goals and then to see kind of the scenes but from me from the opposite side of the stand the stadium to see people venting their anger towards Golden Sullivan it was a real turning point for me in terms of sort of the fan club relationship you know it's been on a knife edge for or really since we've moved into the new stadium you know I think so many people couldn't actually get a flavour of what it was going to be like in our new home until we went there and all the problems we had in that first season um, just meant that people have kind of been simmering for a while and and that Burnley game was the, the, the decisive point where things boiled over and there was no one really to sit to, you know, to put the hob back on simmer, really. You know, I just think with the first season at the stadium and with this season, had we been winning, had we been Burnley this season, we wouldn't have seen half the problems we have. But this is where we are. And um, the fans really have had their say. It was a shame that the, the protest march didn't happen because although I feel like 
the owners wouldn't have cared about the protest or how many people marched. It would have got column inches and it would have got coverage in the national press and it, it would have shown perhaps the biggest shout out that we've ever had to other fans of other clubs that we're not happy and it would have shown the world that we're not happy. And I think that has a greater impact um, on the club and certainly let people know that we, you know we want things to change. But do I think things are going to change? I don't think so. Um, Golden Sullivan are in it, in it for the long haul. Um, they need to spend a lot of money in tax if they sell up. It's not worth their while. So whilst West Ham United remain a Premier League club, if we finish 17th um, or 16th or 15th for the next decade, that's good enough for them. And they'll, they'll put in the money that they need to to ensure that happens, which is it's a really big shame because, you know, we were sold a promise of a world-class players in the world-class stadium and at the moment we don't have either. No, no, you, you, um, you've made some great points there. We, we, the, the pressure cooker analogy, I think, is, is a perfect one to describe this situation. It, it was going to blow up in, in somebody's face eventually, but... T- um, for me, I was I kind of I was reporting on the game and I, I looked down. I'd just finished describing um, Barnes's finish and, and like you said, it was a brilliant finish. I looked up, I saw fan on the pitch tussling with Mark Noble. And my first thought was, there is no way that West Ham are possibly going to overturn this lead. Do you think the the fans may have played a part in the the defeat itself? I think we certainly contributed to going two goals and, th- and three goals down. I think that the atmosphere certainly didn't help, but I don't think that was necessarily the fans' fault. You know, I think, you know, we we really did get behind the players and we didn't really create an awful lot up until that Burnley goal went in and, and the chances we did create, we didn't put away. Look, you know, we need players, especially looking ahead to the Southampton game, we need players that are going to be putting in a shift from the first minute to the, to the 90th and... I didn't see enough from the players of in terms of um, energy, in terms of ideas, in terms of innovation to, to really carve, carve a chance up against Burnley. And let's not forget, yes, they've had a great season, but they're on the beach almost now, Burnley. You know, they, they were probably going to be there for the taking. And I think had we got an early goal in that game, had we got a goal in the first 20 minutes, um, it would have been completely different. And it, it's the same with, with, with everything we've, we've endured over the last couple of seasons. Had we been winning at home, we wouldn't have had any of these problems and Slavin Bilic would still be our manager. You mentioned that the Southampton game there, that brings us perfectly onto our next point really. Looking ahead to that, um, which will be tomorrow by the time this podcast comes out, for me, that is the biggest game um, since West Ham have moved to the London Stadium. Can draw um, comparisons with Swansea at home last season. But but do, would you agree with that opinion that it is the biggest game for for quite some time? If you excuse the last game at the um, bowling, uh, yeah, I would to a degree. I mean, I think this season, um, with the fact that we played our first three games away from home, I think every game since September has been a must-win game. Um, it, yes, we, bottom line is we need to get we need to get something out of that game against Southampton. I think when it comes to talking about the biggest games in kind of the club's recent history, I think. The, the, the last games, certainly the last home game of the season, the last couple of games, they're going to be the ones that are going to um, defy whether we stay up or go down. Um, you know, if, if we want to stay in this division, the players need to put in a performance on Saturday full stop. Um, we're not going to get relegated on Saturday if we lose, but it, it's going to really put another nail on our coffin if we if we do lose. So, yes, it, it, it is a must-win game. Um, it is one of the biggest games we've had in a while. 
and let's just hope that the players rise up to the challenge of it. Absolutely, you've you've hit the nail on the head again there. So so you say there that it won't be obviously it won't be the end of the world if West Ham lose, and it it won't resign West Ham to relegation. But looking at the running, it's it there's still a lot of tough games. I know in in true West Ham style, they may lose the um, Southampton game and then beat Manchester City or Manchester United. Who knows? But but are you feeling confident looking at it, looking at that running? Um, to be honest, I wasn't. Um, that confident at the start of the season or certainly in September when we were looking at that kind of especially with like Leicester and Everton towards the end as well uh, mixed in with all the, all the other tough clubs but actually Leicester and Everton aren't as tough as they have been in, in previous seasons so um, and I think you you probably hit the nail on the head when it came to sort of the performances against some of the bigger clubs because we did a front cover um, at the start of December which was basically the nightmare before Christmas because we had Arsenal, we had Chelsea, we had Man City. Um, you know, we came out, we, we we sold all our issues on the back of this really striking front cover about the nightmare before Christmas. And actually, we narrowly lost to Man City, albeit they were comfortable, but it wasn't the, the drubbing that we feared. Uh, we beat Chelsea and we drew against Arsenal. So, um, And then we followed it up with a defeat at New, against Newcastle. So... Um, um, but heading into the, this last run-in, you know, I genuinely, I genuinely believe that we we are probably only two wins, two wins and a draw um, away from safety. It's so tight down there that I think sometimes teams, you know, if there was only a few teams left down at the bottom and we were on thirty points, I think you'd still be calling for you know forty, forty-one points. But there's so many teams that will be playing against one another and beating one another that I think I think thirty-six or thirty-seven might do us and. I certainly don't think it's the worst. It's not the best running in the world, but it's not the worst. And I think we should have enough in our locker to um, to get the points that we need to stay up this season. And then what happens in the summer, I, I do not know. Yeah, it, I think um, following on from that, there there may need to be a sit down and a reshuffle. But quite quite a lot of the last few seasons. Um... We've we've been kind of saying that, but but uh, you mentioned how how tough it is down there, how tight. Very very hard to predict. So this is going to be a tough question. But if you if you had to name your three at the moment to go down, oh, good question. I mean, I think everyone can agree that Swansea are, are pretty much um, not Swansea, West Bromwich Albion are um, are pretty much dead and buried now. Um, I think um, their performances have been woeful. Um, and they, I just don't think they've got enough fight left in them. And certainly I don't think Pardew has, has got enough of the support in the, in the squad to, to, to get them out of the mess. Um, I think Southampton um, will be close to going down. You know, I, 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 I like Southampton. You know, I've enjoyed watching them play over the last few seasons. I don't know what quite's gone wrong there, but um, they've been sucked into it and I, they could really struggle. I think, I think, so I'd probably say Southampton and actually I, I, I've got to be honest, uh, you know, Stoke getting rid of um, Hughes to bring in Lambert. I mean, whose list was Paul Lambert on? I, I really don't know. I mean, he, he is the epitome of scraping the barrel. And um, I think I think they're going to struggle um, too. So those would be my, my three. I think purely from the point of view that Huddersfield and Brighton, um, they've really got something um, to, to play for and push for. And they, they, they both had expectations I think privately, not publicly, the expectations that they would struggle to stay in this division and, and may well go straight back down. But they, they got the points when they've needed them, and I think they will continue to do so. I think Palace. I think Palace will get out of it as well. They they just when they played at our place, um, it was two teams in form going at it, and it, I thought it was a really good game at home against Palace. And with now they've got Saha back, I think they've they've definitely got it. 
within their locker to, to pull themselves out of this. But it's interesting with it, with clubs, you know, like Swansea and Palace, at one stage of the season, they, they really did look dead and buried and it looked like they weren't going to pull themselves out of it. And they did. And I think it just shows you how just a couple of wins suddenly transforms the side and, and pulls you out of trouble. And um, that's why I think Stoke and Southampton are, are going to really struggle unless they start to pull some results together. Yeah, absolutely. just that there a couple of wins and that is what, what West Ham are, are really need at the moment. Just moving on to um, a few off, off a few more off-the-pitch issues now. What do you make of the... Um, the current situation with the London Stadium. Uh, Bob Martin, are you a fan of the London Stadium? Um, I'm, I'm not the most against it that most other fans are. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. It's not a, certainly not a football stadium. And I think I was disappointed the first game I went that it wasn't the view that I thought it was going to be. Um, I think there's a lot that went wrong with the stadium that the club have kind of said, well, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. It's the owners. It's like... Um, you know, E20 or, or, or whoever. Um, it's their fault. I mean, the stewarding was, was horrendous. And there's been a lot of these little things that we've kind of taken a back step from when, when really I feel like we should have taken ownership of it. You know, we should be doing everything when it comes to that stadium. We should be completely in control of it. And we haven't been. Um, there's been so many things to iron out, which there were always going to be. Um, I just feel like, you know, on the positive side, we're now getting an extra 20,000 um supporters into the into the stadium and when we're on form when we're playing well and we're winning games the atmosphere inside that stadium is fantastic and a lot of people do hark back to the atmosphere at Upton Park and yes it was fantastic especially under the lights but again it was so especially in the say Premier League era it was so relevant um, dependent on um, the side actually putting in performance that it wasn't be on end or as, as people said it said it was but yeah I'm not a not a huge fan of the London Stadium but it certainly brought in um, more fans uh, new fat new fans in a sense you know the dads who want to take their boys to the game but could never afford it before or could could never get a season ticket before now they've got that chance to take their son and that's what's so important at the moment that we, we do bring in these these new fans these, these younger fans they're going to be the ones that are going to see you know what support the club for the next 60 70 odd years um and that's why i think you know certain things like that have, have made the move to london stadium worthwhile yeah yeah ab- absolutely so um just just going back on on the pitch at the moment there's been um some i, f- I think it's been it's been maybe what the club needed this international break uh, some of the uh, the west ham players have been impressing uh, the likes of manuel lanzini for argentina slim marco anatovic has scored a few for austria do you, do you think that could be a boot a boost for some of those players who maybe aren't on the best form yeah absolutely i was so pleased to see um anatovic um score you know as he did and lanzini took his goal really really well and i think Coming back, it's going to be good to have you know those two players who who I believe work so well together. Kind of how Lanzini and Pyatt work so well together, and Altafich and Lanzini seem to be the same on the pitch as well, which was great to see. And you know more game time that they've had, um, and they've also played in a different environment. You know they they both played for sides where they were probably. Um, looking to win the games, not saying that we don't, but men- men- mentally wise, mentality wise, that they're probably more thinking of more being more positive, and it just shows you what, what that kind of outlook can have. I was also pleased to see Declan Rice um, get man of the match as well. I thought that was fantastic. I haven't seen the highlights or seen his performance, but it just shows you, you know, how highly rated he is there, and actually. And how highly related, rated he should be with us, and going forward should be getting a lot more game time. Yeah, yeah, what you've alluded to there, yeah, with the with Rice, he, he may well be now after James Collins's injury. Um, 
Do, is he is he someone who you'd like to see going forward? Perhaps given that permanent place now, he's obviously impressed. But do you think he someone or David Moyes should perhaps say to him, right, you're going to be a starter from now on. Let's see what you can do um, week in week out. Yeah, I think it's so difficult with especially with the younger players. You know, we all remember that um, that game Nottingham Forest in the cup where Allardyce decided to throw in um, all the youngsters, and you know. In, in my opinion, you really need to have it in such a way that you're kind of blooding the plays in and they're getting you know, the odd 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here until they get to the stage that they can actually um, get a full 90 minutes when there are injuries and you know they're more used to the environment and they can rise to the challenge and get their chance. Um, and I actually have to say that in the games that he has played this season, um, Josh, Josh Cullen um, impressed me in that he, he was so good at getting the ball off the defenders and moving on. He, I don't think he did enough to, to, to warrant a bit more, you know, certainly a starting place. But I think he did enough to, to come into a side as a sub if you're winning sort of 2-0, 3-1, and he just needs someone to help keep the ball. You know, he seems to do that quite well. And it's so difficult with youngsters at the moment, you know, the, the, the gap between the under-21s and under-23s and the Premier League is so vast now. It's bigger than it's ever been. And you need to have something really pretty good about you. Or you need to have a, a, a really good rubber to green to go to go for you in order to get that kind of place and, and that contract. And I think you only have to look at players like Reese Oxford to show that sometimes you do need to go away and you need to learn a bit more of your trade and then come back. You've really got to look at Chelsea and some of the players that they've sent out on loan and, and brought back like that centre back Christensen. Um, but equally, look at some of the players that they've they've let go: Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, and, and look what they're doing now. So. Um, I think for young players, especially with Premier League clubs, you know, I think there needs to be an understanding or an appreciation that they need to go away. They need to learn their trade. And you just hope as a club like West Ham that they're going away to, to decent clubs that are going to nurture them and make them the best players that they can be. So when they come back to us, um, you know, they could become the next Kevin De Bruyne or Mo Salah, you know. Um, and that, that's got to be the hope and expectation that, that there should be with the, with the young players. But certainly, Declan Rice, um, if, if called upon, I think we should be giving him as much, as much game time as possible. Certainly when you look at the fact that at one stage in January, I know Fonte's now left, but we, had, we could have had a back four of Zabaleta, Fonte, Collins and Evra, which you know would have been a great back four in 2008, but it's now 2018. So um, to have some youth in there, um, certainly would be a, would be a plus point. Yeah, um, absolutely. Just coming into the final two now. David Moyes has started planning this preseason, and so so that that may be a little hint, a little clue as to what might happen at the end of the season. But have you been been satisfied with what he's done so? Far? Mixed feelings, really. When he joined the club, I, I did go out on the limb and say that it was probably the most um, I was probably the most deflated. Um, option that there could have been I, I really didn't understand why we sacked Billich to bring in David Moyes but fair play to him you know it, it wasn't the easiest of starts not not necessarily against the, the we should have got more points from the players teams we started with but to do what he did in December and to do what he did in January um, I was starting to to buy into the fact that maybe he was the um, messiah which I think has been banded around quite a bit um but what happened in February, and uh, when you look at his first 18 games compared to Billich's last 18 games, and it's the same amount of wins, draws, defeats and points, um, it makes you wonder really 
how much has changed on David Moyes. The, the only thing you could say is that he, he's obviously clicked onto the fact that Marco Inaltovic needs to have an arm put around his shoulder and said, you know, come on, mate. We really need you to, to, to back up your ideas and you're going to play in the centre now and we want you to be our main man. That's clearly what he's needed. And I think out of everything, I think that's David Moyes' biggest contribution to the club so far has been the astronomically improved performances of Marco Nautovic. Yeah, he could um, perhaps tie um, Arthur Masuak with the same string as well with what Moyes has been able to do. So so on the basis of that, um, if if you were the um, one of the money men, would you, would you be giving David Moyes a new contract at the end of the season? Assuming that he keeps us up um, and assuming that the owners buy into his long-term project and what he that what he sees West Ham as, and you know whether they back him in the transfer market. Um, yes, if if the owners don't believe he's a long-term manager of West Ham, or they, they don't believe that the type of players that he wants to bring in um, are, are going to take West Ham forward, then I think we need to say goodbye to him. Who do I think we should get in in place? I really don't know. I, I don't know if there is a manager out there at the moment who could come in or want to come to West Ham who perhaps isn't going to be too worried about not necessarily making all the signings that he wants to make and especially with everything that's gone off off the pitch as well as on it I just don't think West Ham are particularly inviting or attractive prospects at the moment and I, I really don't know who, who could come in and steady the ship for the next few years and perhaps sort of secure us a couple of mid-table finishes before we look to sort of press on you know the yeah. At the end of the day, it's it, it's going to come down to the owners and who they buy into and, and whether they're going to support them with giving them the money they need to bring in the players that they desire. Yeah, absolutely. That's quite a, a poignant note to end on. It's been a fantastic uh, chat today, um, David. Thank you very much for joining us. If if any of your listeners want to um, follow you on Twitter, perhaps read some of your work, where can they um, find you? Uh, so on Twitter, it is at West Ham Magazine, um, or also on Instagram under that same um, username and on easy to find on Facebook as well um, for people wanting to, to subscribe and have every issue posted through their doors um, or just to get the, the odd issue here and there. It's blowing-bubbles.co.uk and uh, you'll also find me on the way um, from Stratford, from Westfield, in, onto the stadium on home match days. Um, usually well wrapped up, but wearing a blowing bubbles top. So do stop and have a chat with me and, and let me know what you think the uh, the best bits are about or the worst bits are about the magazine. Always happy to take people's comments on board. Yeah, well, it's getting warmer, so you might be wearing something a bit bit lighter next time. But um, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining us. David not a problem thank you so much for having me and thank you very much for listening to the more than just a club.com podcast and we will be back next Friday with another episode thank you and goodbye